Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. These are the first words of the great commandment, the Shema prayer that Moses gave the people of Israel, in which the Jewish people still recite as the centerpiece of morning and evening prayer every day. It's a proclamation of God's blessing, the blessing which will never leave the Jewish people. It will never be taken away from them. And that's that same blessing has provoked the hatred of the world for thousands of years. You know, for all of history, there have been those who have hated the, the Jewish people and wanted to see him suffer, and, and not just suffer, but actually be eliminated from the face of the earth. You know, it, the story of Egypt is, is one of hatred. The story of Esther, you've read the story of Esther in, in Persia, they were planning genocide against the Jewish people except for the intercession of Esther and Mordecai. And then, obviously, in the terrible climax of the 20th century under the Nazi regime, we almost saw the Jewish people eliminated from the face of the earth. We almost let that happen. You know, and why, why do people hate them on such a large scale? It's, it's because of the divine blessing that God has given them. And the resilience is also due to that same blessing. You know, just how, how have the Jews endured all of this so consistently for all of history? Well, it's the mysterious work that God uh, has, has provided for them in, in the midst of all that was his blessing. They've stayed faithful. And now we kind of see this evil rear its head in our own country and we wonder at it. You know, how, how is it that we ourselves in a free country like America persecute Jewish people. We see this persecution here at home, and it makes us wonder. But it's one in a, in a stream of you know, violence and hatred in the world that we're continuously exposed to, that, we're, that we hear about all the time. And it makes us aware of just how messed up this place is. It's, it's tough to be optimistic in a global society, because we realize consistently, we're consistently made aware of just how terrible we are, and not only just at home, but across the whole world. Uh, and, and when you know all the terrible things that are happening across the whole world, it just makes it seem all that much worse. Uh, and the news is basically like 20 minutes of, you know, look at how horrible the opposing political party is, seven minutes of, these are all the terrible tragedies that are happening in the world, you know, some natural disasters, some are us, and then, like, three minutes of, look at this cute three-legged dog walking on a tightrope. And they kind of try to close it on a nice note, but it's just not enough. You know, we all just know it's not enough, even though it's cute. And what makes it all worse is that I think we, we frame it, we f- the evil is framed in a certain narrative that's not good for us, and it's just also not true. You know, it, it, it's framed in a way that it makes it seem like this evil's coming in from the outside. It's some force out there that's kind of foreign and, and weird and hard to understand. It's too powerful to be grappled with. It's just going to always be there. You know, it's, it's just terrible. We're terrible and we're always going to be terrible. And then, and then finally, that, that it might be on your doorstep soon if you don't, you know, if you don't do this particular thing. It's kind of the, the story we're given. And that's just not the way it is. And it's not the way that the gospel today 
presents the world. Jesus paints a very different picture than perhaps what our news paints or what we're just, the way we tend to think about things. Jesus gives us a very different picture. And, and I think the gospel today contains a truth that we need to hear, but that maybe we don't want to hear. Uh, but we're going to have to hear it. So, what's happening in today's gospel? You know, just prior to this story of the scribe approaching Jesus, he had had a discussion with the, uh, with the Sadducees, and Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. You know, they'd, they'd kind of given him a quandary concerning the resurrection of the dead, and he had, he had he came down hard on them. It's for one of the few times in Scripture where Jesus just says, you are wrong. You know, so it's a pretty exciting story. And the scribes, the scribe hears Jesus talk to the Sadducees and, and sees how well he answers their questions. And so he approaches him with an actually kind of authentic question, not a trick question like a lot of people end up asking Jesus. And, and it's, what is the first of all the commandments? And Jesus says the first is this, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is Lord, Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is exactly what the scribe was looking for. It's not, it's not like this is a profound answer necessarily. It's, it's what any rabbi who's worth his salt, it's, it's what he would answer. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Uh, he adds, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, that is an interesting answer. That, that's not part of Deuteronomy it's not part of the great commandments. It's, a, it's taken out of Leviticus, and I'll read you the verse where it's taken. It says, Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this commandment's taken from there, but you see he doesn't take the whole commandment. He transforms it. He leaves out the first part about, about your own people, and thus he makes in a sense, takes the commandment and makes it universal. Uh, he transforms it. There's a lot going on here. You know, just as in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is challenging who our neighbor is. You, know, you, can, no, you can no longer restrict it ge- geographically. You can no longer consider your neighbor just to be someone who thinks like you. Uh, everyone is our neighbor. So it's kind of sort of fitting for us to hear this. So Jesus is telling us that we need to love God and love our neighbor. And that's good, and we all know we need to hear that from time to time. Uh, But that isn't all he's telling us, because he's telling us these things in a very specific way. And, And I think it's a very specific way that will actually give us some insight into kind of our messed up and bleak world, and I and hopefully help us to see it in a new way. You know, first let's look at the Shema prayer. And we see God proclaimed not only as the only God, but as our God. He's our God. And therefore we shall love him with our whole heart, soul, and strength. You know, it's the only adequate response to a God has, who has made himself ours is to give our whole being back over to him. It's the only adequate response. And then we look at what's new in the gospel. And I want to introduce it as Matthew does because I think he does it in a very beautiful way. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, The second is like it. The second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as your first. So Jesus isn't giving us a general command to love our neighbor. He's like, what does that mean? You know, it's, it's, often, it's just vague enough that it wouldn't do us a whole lot of good. Uh, but he's, 
He's giving a very specific command about loving our neighbor. First, in saying that the second commandment is like the first, he's tying the two together. He's, He's bonding them. You can't have one without the other. You can't love your neighbor without loving God, and you can't love God without loving your neighbor. So those two go hand in hand, and more specifically, we cannot love our neighbor without loving God. And why is that? Because he also says, in saying it's like the first, he's saying that it's a different sort of commandment. It's not the same thing. It's not, they're not on equal ground. Jesus is kind of setting up a hierarchy of love here, a hierarchy of desire. The love of God is always primary. It always comes first. There's nothing more important in our lives than to love God and to direct our whole life toward that. And it's, and it's only in doing this that so many other things happen. You know, and the first of which is that we see our own dignity. We can see through the eyes of God and see our own dignity. And, and then we can begin to love ourselves. I, I mean, we live in a society where, where suicide is rapidly on the rise. It's now the third leading cause of death among young men and women from 10 to 24. I mean, how is that possible? How, euthanasia is being legalized in, in, across the United States in so many different places, and it's, and it's being pushed more and more everywhere else. And it's because we, have, we, have, we just lack a sense of, of our own worthiness. We, we just obviously don't have a clear idea of our dignity. And it's, and it's only in turning toward God that we can begin to see how great our dignity is. And then it's only when this happens that we can receive this commandment to love our neighbor. So as, and then as Christians, once we understand that, that order, then our mission is total. You know, then, then we can never rest because we can't rest until the, our, God's love has transformed the whole world because now our neighbor is the whole world. And so we can only rest when we either die or when Jesus comes back. You know, those, are the two, those are the two times that the Christian can rest. And so... All this commentary kind of brings us back to the original point, which is that hard truth that we need to hear, <coughs> but that we don't want to hear. Uh, <clears throat> and that's that, that the evil in the world that we kind of just always see as this outside force that's kind of overwhelming and everything. It's not that. You know, the evil in the world has just as much to do with us as it does with the, to do with anyone else. You know, we, the world is just full of a bunch of people. And a bunch of broken people acting out of their brokenness. <clears throat> and so, how, what are we going to do about it? We can do something about it. The first thing that we do is examine our own lives. What do we have to do with all this stuff that's happening? You know, how am I the cause of all of this? You know, I, one of my favorite authors is Cormac McCarthy. And he has this horrifying short novel that I would never suggest reading. It has this, it's named Child of God. So I thought, oh, this would be a pleasant read. And I started reading it. It's not. It's, it's a horrible book. And not horrible. It's well written. Everything he writes is well written. But he kind of builds up this character, this book that's just the most despicable, horrible person you could ever imagine. Just, there's just nothing lovable about this character. And, and throughout the whole book, you know, there's just no redemption. He just continues getting worse and worse and worse. And then the book just ends. And, and as you're feeling this deep contempt for this person, he says something that, 
And I think it's the whole point of the book. He says, you know, he's describing the character and he says, he moves in the dry chaff among the dust and slats of sunlight with a constrained truculence. Saxon and Celtic bloods, a child of God, much like yourself, perhaps. And I, when I read that, I just had to sit there and say, he is nothing like me. You know, this is the worst person I've ever even seen. You know, it's unbelievable. But then, as I, as I examine myself, I realize just how, how blessed I've been by people who have loved me and how much grace God has given me. And if it weren't for that, who knows what I would be? No, and because the world's full of a bunch of people just like me, including this person in this novel, who hopefully is not a real person. He's terrible. But, but when we think about this, you know, we're shocked when we suddenly realize how, how potentially terrible we are. Uh, and when we just examine ourselves. Uh, and and, and it's, it's always a very tough truth. But it's, but it's also the Lord shedding light on something that he wants to heal. And so we realize kind of our potential, but we also realize our potential for great love. And as Christians, that's what we need to be. We have to be the light in the world. We can't be another source of darkness because if we're not sources of light in the world, there isn't a whole lot else out there. You know, if we're not shedding Christ's light, then there's just nothing. Uh, And and we've been given much and so much is expected from us. So the direction of our lives must be transformed by the Shema prayer in exactly that order. We have to give our whole lives over to God in order that we're then capable of loving ourselves and then loving our neighbor. And if we examine ourselves and kind of figure out the ways in which we're messing up the world uh, and begin that kind of journey of straightening that out, then God will begin to transform us. And, and, and first, we'll see the world as a lot less hopeless place. When we see the world with the eyes of Christ, we see God's providence everywhere, uh, and we see just the ways in which he's, he's moving us to love. And then we'll finally su- suddenly kind of find ourselves capable of loving our neighbor in a totally new way. And it's then, perhaps, that we can begin to transform the world in God's image. Amen.